Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our Insights series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more Insight Series updates and as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to the Sibylline Podcast series. I'm Guo Yu, Lead Analyst of Asia Pacific. This week, we are going to discuss the upcoming federal elections in Mexico, billed as the second largest electoral event in the country's history, with over 20,000 positions being contested. The vote will have significant bearings on Mexico's political landscape, while we have seen an uptick in election-related violence, which could be of a major concern for commercial operators. So join me today, we have Ignacio Ayala, our Latin analyst, and Alex Parsons, lead analyst for the Americas. First of all, Ignacio, help us to set the scene. Can you briefly talk about the importance of these elections and why it is so significant? Hi, Hugo, and thank you for inviting me to this episode. So yeah, there are two major issues that we need to highlight from these elections. The first one is the impact that the elections are going to have in national politics. Uh, The second one is, as you said, the spike in political violence. So for the first one, despite being local elections in a strong presidential system such as Mexico's, this event is going to have a major impact in national politics. The election of the 500 members of the lower chamber of Congress and the election of 15 state governors out of the 31 states is going to significantly affect AMLO's possibilities to push forward his fourth transformation agenda. And secondly, there have been over 80 targeted assassinations during the campaign and a significant number of attacks of kidnaps and threats to various candidates across the country. This significantly reflects the importance of a protection for cartels in day-to-day operations and the scale of corruption networks in the country. Thank you. That's fascinating. You mentioned a lot about the uh, election-related violence, the targeted assassinations, and violence related to uh, cartels. So why has there been so much political violence in these elections? Is this a new development? If not, is this trend significantly increasing? Yeah, so political violence is certainly not a new trend in Mexico. But the scale of the elections certainly shows that this has been happening uh, since the Pax Priista, since the PRI uh, was in power. So basically, cartels need allied allied political leaders in municipalities to protect them in day-to-day operations. And corruption networks uh, have grown in the past decade as cartels' profit continue to increase due to the uh, diversification into new markets, such as fentanyl and other synthetic drugs. So what has been happening and will continue to happen is that cartels will kill people or candidates that uh, pledge to reform the municipalities or the states or enemy candidates that are allied with uh, enemy cartels to protect their turf, to protect their territories from outsiders. This, we believe, creates a fat tail risk, which consists basically on a low probability with high impact event. That would be basically that in the long term, this corruption for control scheme 
between political leaders and cartels could lead to something similar as we saw in Colombia in the 90s with uh, the paramilitary groups, the Paracos, in which organized crime uses violence to displace, to kill, or to force people in large scale to achieve an electoral result. Once again, there are low probabilities of uh, this trend from happening, but it is certainly something to keep an eye on. Interesting. So it looks like the uh, election and election campaigns has sort of uh, exaggerated, if, if we may say, um, the underlying uh, fault lines between you know political establishment and organized crime groups. So if we move to um, focus on political stability, what could be the major implications of these elections for the current president? Is he going to be able to continue pushing through his uh, reform agenda known as the fourth transformation? So, yeah, the, the elections are not going to be the same as in 2018, and that needs to be pointed out because that will affect President Lopez Obrador's results. That's it. This are, these elections are going to be different mainly for two reasons. The first one is that AMLO is simply not on the ballot, and so local dynamics will affect way more the elections than in 2018. In this case, we expect the PRI and the PAN, which have a strong electoral machinery to improve their electoral performance. And the second one is that the rules on overrepresentation recently changed with the electoral tribunal's decision, and that will hinder Morena's capability to control the lower chamber of Congress. However, we expect Morena's coalition to maintain control of the lower chamber and obtain a victory in local elections. Still, they would need to control 17 state legislatures as well as a qualified majority to approve a constitutional reform, which is unlikely to happen, but we expect Morena to retain the majority in Congress. However, we think that the PRI and the PAN will have a stronger representation in Congress, and this will force President Lopez Obrador to uh, negotiate certain issues and will likely increase pressure on polarizing issues such as the justice reform. In conclusion, this, this election is expected to improve policy predictability and uh, reduce the risk of regulatory changes. Thank you, Ignacio. Now, if I could turn to you, Alex, we have discussed the political implications. How may the election outcome impact the business environment? Thanks very much, Hugo. Well, this is absolutely at the heart of what most of our listeners are going to want to hear about. And it really, the issues that I, I want to speak to have been addressed very directly by Ignacio. Uh, particularly the issue of, of violence uh, and assassinations, but also that of policy risk. As Ignacio has pointed out, happily, uh, the policy risk uh, in, in terms of foreign investors and companies operating in Mexico seems to have diminished by virtue of the uh, likely electoral arithmetic. That said, a lot of damage has been done. The way in which PEMEX, which for the first time had been liberalized in, in recent years under previous administration, was favoured in terms of electricity contracts for the state, burning very, very high carbon uh, fuel to produce electricity, excluding a $6 billion renewable industry 
uh, energy industry, largely funded by foreign investment, has really scarred the investment landscape. And many, many investors will be very, very reluctant to commit now uh, with the prospect of a continuing uh, López Obrador uh, administration. Uh, that extends into the broader energy context and also in terms of its overall relations with the US, which then moves back into the sphere of violence and assassinations. The last two years have seen an extraordinary level of violence in Mexico in terms of uh, cartel gang warfare with upwards of 35,000 cartel related murders being recorded last year. And this is uh, the result of Lopez Obrador's changing tactics on cartels, which is can be the subject of a whole podcast in itself. But the current situation is that relations with the US are at an all time low on the subject of law enforcement and cartels are at an all time high in terms of their effectiveness. They've been incredibly flexible through the pandemic and have increased their profitability dramatically. But the corollary of that is that the fights between cartels have only got worse, and that is partly uh, shown up in the context of increased assassinations as cartels battle for local influence. But it also means that the, the level of crime across increasing numbers of states is, has increasing impact on businesses. And that can mean, as Ignacio points out, low probability, high impact bystander risk for employees, the risk of kidnap for ransom, but also huge amounts of cargo theft as smaller cartels pushed out of lucrative drug operations resort to old-fashioned robbery. You know, in many areas, uh, there are you know, hundreds and hundreds of trucks hijacked on a daily basis. Trains are routinely hijacked for cargo, all of which is making Mexico an increasingly uncertain destination for operations. That said, very little is going to stop the bulk of U.S corporate activity from continuing in Mexico. The recently signed replacement to NAFTA, the US-Canada-Mexico agreement uh, will make it even more attractive for companies in Canada and the US to continue operations in Mexico. And the fact remains that there is a high-skilled workforce uh, and, and easy logistics for, for those markets. So overall, I would say that to some extent, these are perennial known risks, but as companies, they will be wanting to watch very closely how they develop in individual states and whether or not Lopez Obrador is able, despite the electoral setbacks that the current situation offers, to push through some reforms through perhaps changing the constitution that will make it even less attractive for foreign investment. Thanks very much, Alex. It certainly sounds like an intriguing time to follow Mexico is so much at stake for uh, political, geopolitical and um, business implications, not to mention the surge of violence. So uh, again, thank you very much for the insightful discussion. And now a summary of events to watch in the week ahead. On the 9th of June in Mongolia, a presidential election will be held. A former prime minister and the, the Democratic Party's leader are favourites to win the race. And the election is held amid a volatile recent political environment with government stability under threat. Last year's general election led to multiple reports of opposition voices being suppressed by authorities. And depending on the outcome or the possibility of any post-poll disputes, businesses may face heightened regulatory uncertainty or policy risk amid a declining political stability environment. 
in Mali on the 4th of June, uh, there are scheduled demonstrations by the M5 RFP protest group, which is set to bring acute disruption of potential clashes in Bamako following the reassertion of military power in last month's coup. There is significant bystander risk and there is probably any moderate possibility of violence and foreigners are unlikely to be explicitly targeted. In Russia on the 9th of June, the postponed Moscow City Court ruling on the Valley-affiliated groups is expected to find them to be extremist organisations. The ruling will effectively ban all Navalny-affiliated organisations, increasing the likelihood of mass arrests of opposition politicians ahead of state Duma elections in September. On the 12th of June in the UK, anti-capitalist protesters will hold a mass day of action against the G7 summit in Cornwall, which will take place between the 11th and 13th of June. We can expect an uptick in physical and online activism from anti-capitalist, anti-war and environmental groups with solidarity protests possible in major cities across the UK. In Aberdeen on the, second, on the 3rd of June, for example, a protest took place outside a power station ahead of the G7 summit. And on the 7th of June, Congress in the United States uh, will return from recess, at which point the debate over infrastructure spending is likely to have a clearer direction. At the moment, some Senate Republicans have countered Biden's initial US $2.3 trillion investment with a US dollar $928 billion proposal. And whilst Biden has said he will continue to negotiate with Republicans, clear differences remain over how much to spend and how to pay for it. Republicans want to use unspent COVID relief funding, user fees from electric cars and the gas tax, but the White House has proposed increasing, increasing corporation tax. Definitely an issue to follow to understand what type of infrastructure investment the US is going to be provided within the coming years. And finally, it looks as though the on-pass in Israeli politics may have been resolved with opposition centrist leader Yair Lapid managing to cobble together a coalition and informing the Israeli president just in time ahead of the deadline that he's able to form a government. Let's see if he can hold it together until next week. Thank you very much.